We are up to week three in our series on the supernatural. So why don't we do a little bit of a recap so we're all up to speed. And remember too, if you, don't, uh, if you miss a message, if you're not here on a Sunday, uh, you can always go onto our website and listen to them again or listen to them for the first time. Uh, and for some of us who aren't particularly familiar with things of the Spirit, I can't encourage you enough to go back and listen to uh, the messages and just get your head around this. It's so important. In week one, we get, began with the foundational understanding that what you see is not all there is. We learned, however, that you are not alone in this battle that is going on, and we also saw that your prayers are more powerful than you realize. We looked at the different ways that Satan, that the devil, uh, is trying to take you out, and we re-examined the armor of God, a, a very famous passage in Ephesians, which of course isn't actually armor, but it works like armor. And we must understand these powerful truths and own them and assimilate them into our lives and into our worldview for our protection and effectiveness. Last week, we saw that the Holy Spirit is God, that he is always at your side and he will lead you if you will look to him. We also saw that he is the one who resources you with power. He helps you avoid the devil's traps. He enables you to pray with a different level of power. And he reminds you of God's word. And then we finished up last week <coughs> excuse me, by talking all about surrender. That the whole journey begins for us when we surrender to God. And so this week, we're going to look at what else is going on around us, and we're going to talk a little bit about angels and demons. Now, in popular culture, angels and demons are presented in a few different ways. Angels, generally speaking, are depicted as naked babies with wings that simply would not work aerodynamically, usually playing harps on clouds. Quite a frightening thought, really. Health and safety would have a field day. Uh, either that or angels are depicted as a loved one who has passed away, who is now watching over you, like grandma. Like grandma passed away, and now grandma is watching everything you do. I find that a little disturbing. There are some things I don't want grandma watching. Uh, demons, demons are usually depicted as red guys uh, with horns, a tail with a little arrowhead on it, and they carry a pitchfork. <clears throat> Pitchforks used to be used for picking up hay. I'm not entirely sure what the devil uses a pitchfork for, but that's how he is depicted. Often, he's depicted as a really small little red guy who is on your shoulder trying to give you advice. Uh, I'm pretty sure these demons are called chip. You've probably heard of the guy who had a chip on his shoulder. So um, I think that... that Often we, we get this idea of, of the, the little voice here and then there's a little cherub naked baby on the other side and I think that the devil is probably totally happy with these images because they communicate, one, that demons are not a big threat and two, that angels are not a big help and nothing could be further from the truth. So today we're going to dig into what the Bible says about angels and demons, and we're going to start with demons first. Why? Because we always save the best for last. <clears throat> demons, aka, <clears throat> excuse me, aka evil spirits, 
unclean spirits, fallen angels, ghosts, poltergeists, all the big name movies from the 80s. These are how the demonic world manifests themselves. We see this in Job chapter 4. Job is in a bad space. And what happens? The devil comes by. A spirit glided past my face, and the hair on my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes. Job sees a demonic spirit. He sees a ghost, and he has the same reaction we do, which is that he is terrified, and he is freaked out by this. And of course, that's how the demonic works. It leverages fear. It leverages fear and utilizes deception to bring control, to modify people's behavior in a certain direction. And the demonic gains access where God is not present. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, we read, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. We looked last week at how in the Old Testament, prior to what Jesus did on the cross, the Holy Spirit would come on people for a time and then leave again. And that's what's happened here. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. You see, demons cannot be where the Holy Spirit is in full residence. And this is great news. Why? Because you get yourself full of God, you get yourself submitted to Him, and the devil will not be able to get a foothold in your life. I was in a service one day, uh, this is quite a few years ago now, and I was standing on the front row, uh, it wasn't in this church, in another church, standing on the front row, and right behind me was a lady who'd been to our church just a few times. She seemed like a nice lady, I met her on several occasions. And on this particular day, we were halfway through worship, when all of a sudden, like right in my ear, she suddenly began sobbing. So I'm like, okay, is she going to be all right? Or what, is she, you know, I'm just thinking through that. Uh, and then suddenly she came out from her seat. She came around the front, right in front of me. Liz is beside me. And she grabbed my arm. And through my tears, she said to me, I need to give my life to Jesus. So, of course, I'm about to come back with something meaningful. Something like, that's a great idea. Why don't you wait till the end of the service and we can give your life to Christ? And so she said, I need to give my life to, to Jesus. As she said that, while I'm trying to think of a reply, she suddenly shrieked out loud, slumped against me. I grab her arms kind of to, to hold her up. She starts coughing fit to die. And then after like four or five seconds of hacking, it was like just something shifted from her. And she pops up, has a huge grin on her face. She says, oh, I feel better. She goes, thank you so much for that. I'm good now. And walked back around and stood behind me again. You're welcome. (laughs) So in about five seconds, this woman came to this place of realizing that she needed Jesus. She confessed that out loud. She was delivered of a demon. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she took her place again rejoicing. You see, where the presence of God powerfully is in residence, the devil simply cannot coexist in that place. And that's why the first step 
and deliverance and seeing a demon moved on from somebody's life is always to ensure that Jesus is in their life and that Jesus is number one. In fact, if I'm praying with someone who's got some sort of, you know, being hassled by a demonic presence or something, I'll always begin with just a prayer again of just recommitting again your life to Christ, renouncing the devil's work in your life. That's always where we start. You see, rejecting God or rejecting God's authority and God's leadership in your life, therefore, is a very big deal. Because in the supernatural, it opens you up to things that you really don't want. When you say no to God, it opens the door for another authority to come into your life. And a demon's influence ranges from simply distraction through to disruption in your life, your mental health, your physical well-being, your circumstances, all the way through to times of dominion. Distraction, disruption, dominion, where for times a spirit, if you have given it authority, can literally take over your thinking, your mind, and your body for short periods of time. And we read this in the scriptures with the, the demoniac and the Gerasenes and how it said that from at times the, the demonic spirits would manifest on his life or come upon him, and in those times he would break chains even. He was uncontrollable but then they would leave him again. You see, the demonic can gain access through various means, from rejection of God, from sin, from trauma, from a whole bunch of different things. Not that we should be afraid of those things, but the devil will take any opportunity he can to get in and influence a life. So where do these demons, and where does this devil come from? Well, originally, they were all angels. So Satan... The devil, he was just a, an angel, but he was quite an angel. Uh, angels are all ministering spirits, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. They've all been created by God, uh, and they are sent by him to serve humankind in a whole range of different ways. Historically, as the scriptures tell it, there was one of these angels, uh, often described as the most beautiful angel. He got proud. This angel was a cherub. Now, cherubs in scriptures have quite a specific role. Cherubs were in Eden, and when Adam and Eve sinned and were cast out, it was two cherubs that were assigned to guard the way back to Eden. So cherubs are a bit of a big deal. Uh, you can read about this in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 to 17. So anyway, this angel called Lucifer decided he was up for the top job. Isaiah 14, verse 14. It says, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high this led to a rebellion in heaven and what broke out what happened was a war broke out we read this in revelations chapter 12 it says then war broke out in heaven michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven revelations 12 jude other places we find out that a third of the angels uh, lost their god-given positions of authority and they were cast down to the earth in allegiance to this angel, this fallen angel, now a demon called Lucifer. Now it's interesting because Lucifer means light bearer. Light bearer. And he was originally uh, this being of incredible light. But now, of course, the devil is called Satan, uh, the accuser of the brothers and the sisters. I mean, 
it's quite a story. Sounds a little bit like Avengers Endgame or something like that with all this going on and war in heaven and getting cast down and it's all on. However, this particular story is not family friendly. You see, these beings' goal now is to separate human beings from God for eternity, to destroy them in the process, John chapter 10, verse 10, and they do not care how they go about doing that. There are no rules of engagement. There is no Geneva Convention. They don't care whether they take someone out uh, in their teens through suicide or whether they take someone out at the age of 100 having led a person through a life convinced that they don't need God and that they're quite happy until their dying day. They, they have no rules of engagement. They are anti-God and therefore opposite to everything God is. So if you want to understand a little bit more about the demonic, think of all the things God is, and then think what is the opposite of that, and you will get a fairly good picture. God is love, they are hate. God is truth, they are lies. God is just, they are unjust. God is compassionate, they are brutal, and we could go on and on. In fact, the word evil literally translates into English as dirty. That's what the word evil means, dirty. And this gives us an insight into their tactics, into their behavior, and into their mindset. Satan operates on the earth. 1 John 5.18, it says that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And the, the demonic works at every level of authority. We, we're told in Ephesians that there are powers and principalities. There are different levels of authority. And so the demonic is active at every level, globally, in government, all the way down to individuals. And the demonic realm aims to gain influence and control over a human being. This occurs by getting a human being to reject God's rightful authority over their lives and to be open to other ways of getting power, knowledge, or influence. And so those are the three broad areas we find in the occult. This usually occurs through getting them involved in sin or idolatry. Now, we tend to think that idolatry is bowing down to some little kind of clay god and we've got an altar, but actually that's not true. Idolatry is when we love any created thing more than we love the creator, and we're willing to choose that over that on any given day. Idolatry affects the Western world just as much, if not more, than it does the rest of the world. And when we read 1 John 5.19, we read that the world is under his control, except, and this is where we start to move into the good news, except where God's kingdom is in force through his church and through his disciples, wherever they are. Wherever you go, that's where God's kingdom is. Wherever I go, that's where God's kingdom is. Wherever we are, that's where God's kingdom is all across the world. And this, this establishing of God's kingdom occurs usually when a believer comes into contact with someone who has uh, allowed some sort of demonic influence, or not even necessarily allowed, but something in their life has allowed a demonic influence in place. And when a believer comes across that, like Jesus did repeatedly and his disciples did, and then when we kick that out and take that ground back for the kingdom, the kingdom of God just advanced again. You see, the kingdom of God advances not through taking real estate. The kingdom of God 
advances through taking souls. One person at a time across the planet. That's how the kingdom extends. And Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he has given his authority over the devil to his disciples, that is to us. And you can read that in Luke chapter 10, 19. So let me give you three supernatural truths that will equip us as we go through our lives, because at some point, all of us will at some, in some time, in some situation, will come across something where the devil has encroached into an area or a person's life or a location, and we will be required to step up and kick that out and extend God's kingdom another step forward. The first thought this morning is this, you don't dance with the devil. You don't dance with the devil. You don't take him lightly, you don't call him names, and you don't play games with him. Jude chapter 1 verse 9, it says, But even the archangel Michael, the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself, one of the most powerful angels in existence, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. You know, if the angels respect Satan's power, so should we. It doesn't mean we in any way buy into his authority but we respect his power. I have seen over many, many years, I've seen several people who made it a habit to slander the devil. Talk about old hairy legs, talk about that loser, the devil. I've seen people who make a habit of that and I have consistently seen people who somehow end up being taken out, being taken out of ministry, taken out of leadership through sin or through addiction. It's, you know, you just don't dance with the devil. Don't go around slandering the devil because that'll just get you in a power hot water. Secondly, however, this is a second thought, you don't fear his presence. Now the interesting thing is that I've discovered over many years that when I come in a contact or proximity with the devil, my flesh reacts. I will feel the physical sensations of terror. It's the strangest thing. But on the inside, I don't allow my mind in any way to go to that place. I can be in a situation where maybe someone's being delivered or there's been a, a demonic presence or something, and I can, my, every hair on my body's standing up, I, I feel cold, I, in, my, in my pit of my stomach, it's all tight and contracted up, but in my mind, I'm crystal clear. I'm crystal clear that God is, in, is the authority, that he has given his authority to me, that regardless of how my body is freaking out, my mind is not. And this particular demonic spirit, his time is now numbered in moments. And that is what we have to do. You see, the reality is, is that the devil cannot touch you without God's permission. 1 John 5.18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. He cannot. It's not a should not harm them, might not harm them. He cannot harm them if they are fully submitted to God. And then that leads us to number three, which is you stand in Christ's authority. Luke 10, 19, I have given you authority, Jesus says, to trample on snakes and scorpions, which are metaphors for demonic things, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You see, Jesus gave us his authority. When you speak to a demon, it's like Jesus is speaking to a demon. Don't forget that. You have all of heaven backing you up on this, and it's all about simple authority. You don't need to be smart to deal with the demon. You don't need to be educated to deal with the demon. You don't even need to be experienced to deal with the demon, though it helps. All you've got to do is understand your authority 
and step into that. So, if we have all of heaven backing us up when we come into contact with the demonic, let's talk about heaven, and that leads us on to angels. Now, one of the first times that we meet angels is in Genesis chapter 18. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Well, how did he know they weren't just three men? Because there's something different. And as we read the story, we find out that some different things happened that showed that these were not ordinary men. It says, when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. So then Abraham gets his wife Sarah to whip up a feed. The angels pass a message on to Sarah that God's promise was going to come true and that she was going to have a child. And then they wander off down a little bit for a planning meeting regarding the impending judgment on Sodom. Abraham actually entertains these angels. He welcomes them in to his house. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 says that the same thing can happen today. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I love that. So let's look at angels quickly. Angels, number one, angels are worshippers. Hebrews 1 verse 6 it says, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And when we go into Revelation and we see uh, what heaven is like, angels are made to worship God. Secondly, angels are warriors. Uh, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 20, uh, we read, he said, do you know why I have come to you? This is the angel, Gabriel. Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. In the supernatural realm, Angels are worshippers, but they're also warriors. And there are many other scriptures that we can read about that show us this aspect of the angelic role. And then thirdly, angels are messengers. Judges 6 verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he brought him a message. In Luke 1 19, the angel appears to Zechariah. He says, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent, why? To speak to you and tell you this good news. And then again in Luke chapter 1, 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a, a, Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Why? To bring a message to a young girl that we know well called Mary. So angels serve us in a multiplicity of ways. In Hebrews chapter 1, we've already read how it says that angels are ministering spirits, ministering or serving spirits, spirits, and they are sent to serve those who will, what? Inherit salvation. Who inherits salvation? Human beings. And so angels are sent by God to serve human beings. Many years ago, a, a movie came out called The City of Angels. And uh, while it had some pretty wacky theology in there, it also had some very insightful theology. And, uh, and it showed angels what they might look like in a current day setting. Long coats, cool boots, jeans. And it also showed a little bit about how they operate in conflict situations, in difficult situations, calming things, working with people. There's some quite good insight in that. But one of the things that angels do is they serve us by directing us. And the story of Balaam. Balaam's riding along on a donkey and he's going in a certain direction. God sends an angel to change Balaam's direction or else Balaam's going to get in big trouble. In the end, God actually speaks through the donkey, like the donkey starts speaking to 
uh, to Balaam, saying, there's an angel up there with a big sword and I can't get past him. Why are you beating me, man? Lay off. I'm saving your life. It's a fascinating story. But actually, this angel was sent to bring direction to Balaam. And I'm sure we've all heard stories of people who have had encounters, supernatural encounters, where an angel or an angelic presence has brought direction. Many years ago, my father was in hospital uh, for quite some time with uh, quite a significant back issue. There was a guy in the hospital at the time who was walking around all the wards. He was covered in burns bandages all up his legs, his arms, across his chest and his head. And he was just going into wards and telling people about Jesus. He was driving the place crazy. The nurses couldn't stop him. The doctors wouldn't stop him. They couldn't kick him out because he still needed to be treated. So, of course, him and my dad became great mates. Why? Because my dad is the guy in the hospital ward with a guitar who's singing songs about Jesus in his hospital bed, and you're just going to have to join in or shut up. And so they became great mates, and I later went, actually, when he got released from hospital, he spoke at a full gospel businesses meeting, and I heard his story. He was driving in his LPG-fueled uh, ute through a particular, uh, underneath his particular railway overbridge which is notorious in the Bay of Plenty for crashes and in fact they're taking it out now uh, but he went through this and he had a head-on collision with a petrol tanker and the LPG tank exploded through into the cab of his ute he found himself with the front and side of his ute completely smashed in and his the entire interior of the ute was literally filled with flames and in the second that it took for him to breathed the first breath of flames in and he knew he was going to die he said a voice out loud said to him stay calm open the door and roll out his cognitive mind said there is no way that door is opening but I have no other options he pulled the handle the door popped open as if it was unharmed he rolled out onto the tarmac and the truck driver pulled him aside and dragged him out of the flames and happened to have a 20 liter container of water and just poured water all over his body uh, until the ambulance came. He had an incredible experience. He was put in an induced coma for nine weeks. He actually died at one point there and had an incredible story of going to hell, going to heaven, and then coming back to his body. But the point was, an angel, he says, was sent to give him instructions, directions in that moment that saved his life. The second thing that angels serve us by is by protecting us. Herod killed the apostle James and it won him the support from the Jews and so he imprisoned Peter to do the same. In Acts chapter 12 verse 7, it says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. If we read the passage, it tells us that the church was earnestly praying for Peter's release. So the angel struck Peter on the side, woke him up, quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. An angel freed Peter from prison. And angels have a role to play in protecting us. Many years ago when our kids were small, we had a people mover, you know, with the big sliding side door and the front door. And what happened was we just arrived at home and all of the kids were getting out of the car. And uh, I think I had been driving and Sam, who's just a wee fella, he had been sitting in the front passenger seat and what happened was he opened his door and Allie was getting out of the back sliding door and as she did she without thinking wrapped her hand around the pillar between the back and the front door so her hand was right around inside the front door Sam was just a tiny little boy he didn't even he got out of the car and as the little kids do he ran down behind the door and then he ran the front passenger door shut and it slammed right across Allie's hand I could just see the end of her thumb 
and it was trapped completely in the mechanism of her hand. I completely freaked out, because I, I knew. I mean, anyone ever slammed their finger just a little bit in a door anywhere, and it's just not a pretty thing, right? I, I just, I just like, it took me a second. I ran, I ripped open the door, didn't even stop to look. I scooped Ellie up, and I started running inside, because I'm expecting blood, broken bones, all sorts of stuff. And Ellie, as I'm running up the steps to her house in a complete panic, Ellie goes, Dad, I'm fine. And I, I went, good on you, Belle, you're a brave girl. <laughs> she goes, this is what she said. She said, no, Dad, look at my hand, I'm fine. And then she said this. She said, Dad, an angel put its hand over my hand. I, I, I stopped, I put it in, I looked at her hand. Her hand was not even red. It wasn't even red, and this is where it gets freaky. I couldn't actually believe this had happened. I went inside, I got a piece of photocopy paper, and I put it in the door where Ellie's hand was, and I slammed the door shut and the paper was completely mangled. Sometimes God sends his angels in times and reasons we don't understand, but to protect us, I am certainly grateful. The third thing angels do is they minister to us. They come to us, they move us toward the things of God. Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering servants? And we see in Jesus' story, key moments in the wilderness, and then in Gethsemane, it says the angels of God came to him to strengthen him, to keep him going forward on his journey. Acts chapter 12, verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him, and so an angel was sent. We'll get the team up now as we come to a close, but I want to share a final story about, about this. And uh, some, I apologize if you've heard me share this story before, um, but it's okay. It's a great story. Um, my grandfather was a very proud man, played top-level sport, played rugby at Eden Park, uh, was a banker, uh, was quite a wealthy-ish man, lived in a beautiful property uh, with my nana on Papamoa Beach, um, and uh, he wanted nothing to do with God. My nana died, and, and you know, over the years, my parents prayed for my pop salvation. When I got saved, I prayed for my pop salvation. Every Christmas, I would send him some Christian book, you know, uh, hoping he might read it because he had nothing else to do. And, uh, and, he, um, and I would always find these books, 6, 12, 18 months later, unopened. He wouldn't even, if, if, I, if he got a book, he wouldn't even open it. I mean, he was just hardened to things of God. My grandfather got to be uh, the age of 90. And uh, he's outlived all of his mates. He's outlived his wife. He just sits in his front seat in this beautiful beachfront property day after day. And so he had a cleaner come in a couple of times a week and, and um, uh, someone would come in and do his food for him. And every week he would have a conversation with my mum. And this particular week, uh, when my mum rang my granddad, he was, he was all excited. He said, oh, the, the, there's a young guy that's moved into the batch. Batch, it's like, you know, $4 million property next door. This young guy's moved into the batch. He's doing some work there. I don't know what it is. He's a bit religious, but he always comes over and spends time with me. I mean, Pop was just stoked about this. I'm sure it was just about having the company. But as the weeks went on, every week when mum called, he would always rave about this young man. And then one day... Uh, Pop was quite glum on the phone, and mum said, what's wrong? And he said, oh, the young guys told me that my work here is done, and that I wouldn't be seeing him again. Pop was really down about this. Anyway, it was just a couple of months, a couple of, maybe eight weeks later, I think it was, when my papa finally passed. And my mum was at his bedside with the doctor through the, his last night, and then he passed away. 
and then uh, the following morning as my mum and my auntie began to tidy up his things, they started most naturally in the bedroom and they started with the bedside table and underneath papers and medicines and all sorts of things, they found an old New Testament Bible. Mum didn't even know that he had an old New Testament Bible. And it must have been jammed somewhere in the back of his bookcase from wherever. But what was most interesting was that tucked inside the Bible was a little piece of paper, kind of half of an A5 bit of paper. And on it, written in my granddad's really shaky old man, 90-year-old handwriting, was a confession of faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior and as his Lord. Now you've got to understand, after praying for my granddad for like 50 years, my mom could not believe this was true. So she took it, and she, when the housekeeper came around the next day, she asked the housekeeper, do you know anything about this? And she goes, anything about that? For the last three weeks, he hasn't shut up about that. He makes me read it every time I come around. It's just the strangest thing. My mom was blown away. Could it actually be that at the age of 90, after being prayed for for 50 or more years, could it be that literally before his death that my granddad received Jesus as his Lord and Savior? Well, what, what, wait, 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 wait. The story's about to get a whole lot better. Also on the bedside table was a little business card which had the name of the guy, of the young guy. Pop had said that he'd given him his card. And mum thought, I've got to call this guy. I've got to call this guy and thank him. It was just a few weeks, you know, six or seven weeks afterwards. And on the card, it just simply had an Auckland telephone number and then the guy's name on the other side and a, and a business name. And so mum quickly grabbed the card, went to the phone. She was so excited and she rang the number. There was no such number. She rang directory and was told, this number has not been allocated. This number has never been allocated. Mum couldn't believe it. Wait, wait, wait. And for the first time, she took a closer look at the name on the card, and the business name was this, Angel Communications. True story. And in fact, all of us kids now, we've got a little photocopied copy of my granddad's confession of faith, and in our family, we're convinced that that was a ministering angel sent to reach my pop in response to decades of prayer. And here's my point today. Never, ever give up on praying for anybody. Because in the supernatural, there are things going on that we cannot know about, we can't even imagine. And sometimes God will release his angels in ways that we can't predict to do things that we can't believe. Amen? Amen. Come on. So good.